Welcome to episode seven. Thank you for Double being 007. here. 007. Yes. Who will be the next 007? Has that been announced yet? Tom Hardy, right? Is it? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. All right. We won't put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks if you're watching, Tom Hardy. It's great to have you here. Um, we're back for another one. And uh, hello to our subscribers. Hello to our, our watchers. Apparently, these are getting some views, which is nice to hear. We do this because we think they're going to be entertaining and interesting. So thanks for being here. If you are here listening, do all that stuff that everyone else on YouTube asks you to do. Subscribe. Click the like button. Leave a comment. Just signal your humanity to us. Just, you know, that those little hits of validation are really what we crave. Uh, and that's why we do this. Really, we're just really insecure. Wow. Should I let you keep going or should I jump in here? <laughs> I was hoping you'd jump in. <laughs> How are you, mate? What's happening? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. What is happening? Just took the dog for a little walk. It's a bit wet outside and he's saturated. He's currently sitting on my feet under the table uh, and my feet are now very wet. Uh, other than that, it's Friday, another week. Things are ticking away at work. Um, don't know, not too much. I'm just leaving you. you out to dry. This just you're carrying the show today, mate. Today, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> well. Speaking of dogs, this little black spot here, boop, is Mac. She's nestled in the cushions, asleep. So she'll jump up and probably bark. And Elliot will have to do some editing at the end of this. But uh, importantly, what are you drinking today, mate? Uh, I have got back on the scotch this week. Uh, mm -hmm. it's a Suntory scotch from Japan. Uh, Taiko, Taiko, maybe Japanese was never my strong suit, uh, but it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Uh, where'd I get it? I guess a birthday. Oh no. Dog tried to get my lens cap. Saved it. Uh, he loves his ocular equipment. I does. I've lost a lot of lens caps to this dog. Um, I think you it was lost your thing. glasses as well, right? Yeah, my glasses, which still haven't arrived, uh, frustratingly. Um, you think he'd be into hearing-based items? Like, does he do headphones? Does he do hearing aids? Uh, if you're watching this on video, uh, this is my AirPods case, and you can see the nice speckled design. Uh, this is a custom order. It's called uh, Houndstooth. That was, uh, that was an Apple collaboration with Kim Kardashian, right? You you implying that she's a dog? That's rude, mate. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I'm going to leave you there nice on that one. Thing to say. No, my dog ate my AirPods case. So, yeah, he, he, he'll eat anything, mate. He's a, he's a monster. Except his food. He, he, he's not a fan of his kibble. Um, anyway, this feels like it's gone on long enough. Let's... Yeah. Uh, you haven't asked me how I am or what am I drinking. I, I Come did on, ask catch you up. You, you just steamrolled me and asked me what I was drinking. What are you drinking? How are you? I have. I'm very excited. I have three beverages. I have my little breakfast shake. I have the usual. We're back to. We're back on track. There's been two weeks of bad coffee in a row of the random mixture week, followed by the French press week, and we're back into the uh, five pour method. And I've also got some wax here if uh, if we get if I get really thirsty. 
Good, good. Got a little candle going Ambience. for the ambiance. Wait, was that the yeah. third drink? Oh, no, the what third you... drink's water. Yeah, okay, I figured. Yeah, good. Uh, what are we talking about this week, mate? You're well, up first. I am going first. So this week, uh, I wanted to talk about the... Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a couple of candidate things, but I, I mean, at the end of the day, I picked this new model, this new AI model that came out from... Uh, just let me check if it was Google or it was DeepMind, which is part of Google. But uh, it's this generalist AI agent they call Gato, Gato, G-A-T-O. Don't know how you spell it. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, but it demonstrates very good performance on a whole bunch of different tasks, like captioning, playing Atari games, grasping tasks. Uh, and it spurred a lot of conversation around... Uh, are we moving closer to AGI, artificial general intelligence? And seems really cool. So I thought I'd talk about that. What about you? Yeah. Um, so I've been like holding back talking to you about this all week, so I didn't ruin it too much. And I slipped up on yesterday or Wednesday and gave you a little preview. But um, we're going to be talking about an article called This Can't Go On. And it's all about how human growth, especially economic, is destined to stop sometime in the not too distant future. Like it's wild. this week. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> According maybe. to my share portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sweet. So I, I, I look let's forward. jump into the Gator model. Gator, um, yes. Um, what does so, it stand for? I don't know if it stands for anything. I, I, uh-huh. uh, if, if it did, I, I missed that. Um, could be because of how it works. With general artificial. Generals. I mean, it does stuff with tokens, maybe. Uh, if like if that Optimization. is a, a glaring part of this article and I just zoomed right past it to read the technical details, sorry, Google folks. Uh, general but, artificial tokenization of optimization. That's what it stands for. Yep, that's it. No, it's sponsored by Gatorade. <laughs> It's, uh, they want AI to come up with better colors for their drinks. Different shades is based off electrolytes. Different shades of blue, yeah. Um, so, great bands out of the way. Uh, let me give a bit of backstory. So, the work fits into this broad field called reinforcement learning. Reinforcement learning is a branch of artificial intelligence, which is all about training models to do quite complex tasks, really hard to describe tasks based on feedback that tends to be what they call a reward signal. So it's sort of sparse feedback. And so, you know, to make that something more concrete, let's say you are playing a game of Pong on whatever system Pong first came out. I I say this because it's it's literally one of the examples that they use for this model. it's very hard to distill Pong down to some sort of signal that you can use to do gradient descent on. Uh, so gradient descent being gradient descent. All right, we're going we're going right back to basics here. So in non-reinforcement learning, or some branches of non-reinforcement learning, you'll have a problem, and you'll have some function that you want to optimize. And let's say for an image generation task i want to generate pictures of cats or a very specific picture of a cat um 
I let the model do its thing. It produces some sort of picture. I compare every pixel in what the AI put out to what I wanted it to be. And I sum up all of the errors. So all of the differences between those two values. And then I calculate for every weight or for every parameter in my network, uh, what the derivative is. Uh, I'm not going to explain derivatives if we're getting that far back. Uh, we may lose people. And it updates those parameters to minimize that error if it had to do the same task again. Can I throw you in, put you even more on the spot? I remember yeah. you gave me an example of this as like go for a walk on the mountain in the fog and each step is you're getting feedback as to whether you're going up or down. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of great in the set. Yes. Um, so the, the reason that mountain analogy falls down is because you go uphill rather than down, but let's say you're, you're trying to get to the bottom of a valley. Let's Gradient say there's, you, you're in the, in the Scottish Highlands and you know, there's a pub at the bottom of one of the valley that you're in, but you're completely lost and it's very foggy as it often is in Scotland. Um, and so what you do is you have to make a decision about which way to go and you have the luxury of being able to see a meter in front of you. You look a meter in front of you in every direction and you say, well, I know where I want to go is at the bottom of the valley. So I'm going to go in the direction that's most downhill from where I am. And you do that. You take a step, a step, a, a step. Oh, you're from New Zealand, eh? Yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, you take a step in that direction. Uh, and you repeat the process and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And theoretically, in some cases, you'll end up at the pub. Um, that's sort of what gradient descent is all about. And where reinforcement learning has a hard time, you know, different to the cat picture generation is that it's very hard to describe the difference between where you are and where you want to be. So for the cat picture, you can say, look, I can tell you for every single pixel in this image how far off you were, and you can try and make that less of a problem next time. When we're talking reinforcement learning, we say, you played Pong for four hours and your score was 13. I wanted your score to be higher. And that's all I can tell you is I wanted your score to be higher. So you have sort of a very, I guess you can think of it as like a distant signal. Um, you know, maybe to try and make use of that going into the valley analogy, um, you're looking for the pub and you wander around on a given night and the only feedback you get as to whether you did it right or wrong is did you end up at the pub that night? And to have another go and try and find your way from your house to the pub, you just have to wait till tomorrow because, you know, you get to the pub, you have six beers, you get a cab home, you weren't paying attention to how you got there, so you didn't learn anything. And so that would be the reinforcement learning version of that. You just try again a whole bunch of times. You maybe find out that like, oh, if you follow these signs that have green stickers on them, that seems to get you pretty much closer to town and the pubs near the town and things like that. Anyway, this is this uh, this show yeah, is turning we'll... into let's 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 put Elliot on the spot for analogies for complex topics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, let me just have a quick squeeze behind me. I have a book somewhere which was given to me as a gift, a bit of a joke gift, which was like analogies and metaphors. It's like a dictionary for analogies and metaphors. Um, 
So I should be better at this. I never read the book, so that's probably why I'm not. Anyway, reinforcement learning. So the goal <laughs> of a good reinforcement learning agent is, in the ideal sense, in the artificial general intelligence sense, is to be able to go ahead and just do any task you throw at it. So let's let's take the like the Game Boy game example. You can train a uh, an AI to be really good at playing Tetris. Like, okay, cool. But then you take out the Tetris cartridge and you put Pokemon in. What you want in the ideal sense is it to be really good at Pokemon and not try and use Tetris strategies to win at Pokemon. So it needs to have some general abstract understanding of like how to approach problems, how to experiment, how to get better at things over time for it to be able to do that. And historically, that's been really hard to do. And the work here from DeepMind is some good progress in that domain. So they built this model, Gato. Uh, they tested it uh, on Atari games as one thing. Uh, image captioning, sort of chatbot type scenarios, object detection, uh, grasping models, which is where you get those like robot arms and you've got to try and give it the parameters to move its joints to go and pick up an object. Um, and it performs pretty well at all of those. Now, it doesn't set new benchmarks on like any of these particular tasks, um, but that's not really the point. The team here didn't, you know, go all GTP3 or DALI2 on it and, you know, use a trillion parameters and all the GPUs that, you know, one could find. Uh, they really wanted to just put out here this new idea, combining some existing ideas and how that can be used to build uh, these generalist agents. And I mean, it's cool. It's very good work. It's, uh, and you know, in classic DeepMind style, and we'll put this in the show notes, uh, it's presented really well. Uh, the team from Google has done a good job of uh, distilling this down visually into some nice graphics that help to explain this. You'll probably need a little bit of AI knowledge to get it, but you don't need to be a, an AI pro to really dig into it. So it's nice. It's approachable. Just seems like AI is wandering around trying to find pubs anyway, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. This, mark my words, that will be the go-to first-year machine learning story before long. But, I mean, it's interesting. So th this article has kind of polarized the AI community. Well, some subset of the AI community. Obviously, not everybody's keen on it. But um, into thinking that this means artificial general intelligence will be here in like the next 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. so, do you know about Metacal... Is it Metacalculus or Meta Metaculus? It's like those... So uh, it's popular with the like less wrong folks. Uh, and it allows people to bet fictional currency on, well, there's a number of different ones, but basically it's, it's meant to be like a group, uh, a platform for groups to sort of put in bets against certain outcomes. Oh, uh, I've seen this. It's, 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 it's a, it's an odds market for very, uh, long, long tail, high impact events. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of them, like many of them use fictional currencies. 
Um, but apparently that is fine. Apparently that still gets good predictions of true odds. Uh, but on some of those, it's moved the prediction for AGI to the, within the next 10 years, which is wild. Mm. Previously, it was, uh, I think, 30 or 50 years out, and it sort of has been 30 or 50 years out pretty much forever. Uh, but then there's this other article that I read on the next web, which the title of it, and again, show notes, is DeepMind's astounding new Gato AI makes me fear humans will never achieve artificial general intelligence. And okay. yeah, I mean, a big part of that is like what seems to come up every single time is like the way to win here is to make massive computers and then you can be good at a small handful of tasks. And the reality of making a massive computer that's good at enough tasks to matter uh, just seems like an impossible uh, challenge. This is really cool. I've got um, I've got like five questions, but you're on a roll, so I wanted to I wanted you to keep going and keep explaining. But um, my first question is, so like, what this has made me think of is there's general artificial intelligence, but there's also a general version in a local domain. So, for example, playing a Game Boy, right? There is a very specific artificial intelligence that can play Tetris, but then there would be a more general version of it that could play every Pokemon game. Has this, um, this sounds like it's gone beyond even that into, I'll say, very domain-specific tasks. Have they just, with the model mechanics, have they just stitched different models together and said, hey, this is general? Or that it's a single model that is able to do all of this? And I'm, I understand that might be a bit of a no that, area question that is like the, no but that's like the spot on question so the the big breakthrough here is uh they've sort of developed a system that can take a problem uh turn it into a set of symbols that they call tokens and uh, ask for a certain output that's also in those tokens and those tokens will be context specific so for like the game boy example it might be like press a now press b now press up and for the image captioning, it might be like that same token that would have meant press A here means the word cat. And what they've done so is the they've, meta, yeah. So the meta skill that they've trained this AI on is creating tokens and figuring out what those tokens should be and optimizing around those tokens. No, well, not quite. The, the thing that this model does really well is it like takes a set of instructions or a description of the problem to be solved written in tokens, solves that problem and spits out tokens on the other side. Uh, and it can do that as long as you can find a way to codify what you want into some tokens, you can ask it to do pretty much anything. Within so what are the, what, what are the constraints? Yeah. What are the constraints on this thing? So they've, they've, they've leapt beyond domain general artificial intelligence. What, like if I asked it to drive a car, yeah. Ignoring technical constraints around radars, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the big thing would be you would need to uh, work out how to turn what you wanted. You'd take your input domain, let's say like you have a camera mounted on the top of the car as your input, and your output might be like 
the angle of the steering wheel. Let's just say, just to simplify this, it's like on an infinite track, you have to turn, but you don't have to worry about accelerating and all that. And you just see what's in front of you. So you would codify the camera image into some tokens and feed this into the model. And you would have your actions being steer left, steer right, or it might be the angle at which to set the, uh, the steering wheel. And then you'd need to find a reward signal uh, to then feedback into this so that it could locally mm. optimize. And it might be like, as long as you're on the road, you get one point per second. And if you're off the road, you get negative one points per second. And your job is to like maximize your points. Yep. Um, so it kind of has no concept of what it's doing. It's just like, okay, cool. Here's my tokens. I want the most points. I'm going to do some output actions and uh, try and maximize my points. So what um, should we be, should in the wait, but why article on general artificial intelligence, they give the example of the paperclip AI that creates paperclips and then takes over the world and kills everyone because it just wants to make paperclips. Are they, are we at the stage where considerations need to be made that this AI doesn't start just yeah. taking over the world to be able to drive the car for the maximum amount of points? I think we're probably at the stage where we should be <clears throat> considering that stuff and, and thinking about how when one day an AI that powerful comes, we should be putting constraints around it. If you ran this AI loose would it likely happen probably not because the big difficulty in giving this model new tasks is taking a task and turning it into tokens which like this ai can't currently just get a random stream of video and say like oh yeah i must be driving a car yep um so i think we're still a little way we still needed to break down the problem yeah yes yeah exactly Exactly. So, you know, once the AI start buying hammocks, uh, we know we're fucked. But until then, I think we got a little bit longer to, to think about it. But, I mean, it's one of those things, though, where, you know, it can accelerate right past you. So, like, we probably should have been thinking about it 50 years ago. But I, I suppose much like, you know, building readiness for global pandemics, if there's not a pandemic, you think it's a waste of money. And then when one comes, you go, oh, why didn't we do this sooner? <laughs> so, yeah. So speaking of acceleration, just since, you know, I, I walked into this world because of Maxwell Plus and what we do with work and um, I'm, not an, I'm not trained in AI in any way, but since I've been here in this short four years, obviously there's been a little bit of hype in this sector as well. There's been GPT-2, GPT-3, Dali 2 and now Gato and probably uh, 50 other models that I've never heard of. This seems moving quickly. This seems to be moving quickly. And if I call us back to episode, let's go with four, where we were talking about S-curves stacking on top of each other, acceleration. Mm. How, do, how do you tie all that together with this? Yeah. So, And I think that is what we're seeing here is that... Um, yeah, this idea of these S curves, which is sort of, you know, they start slow and then they accelerate rapidly and then they, they sort of taper off at the top. Stacking on top of each other as a model of innovation kind of means that 
you know, one breakthrough will start slow, it'll make a huge difference in a field, and then it'll sort of reach its maximum usefulness. And what we've seen here is sort of the combination of uh, rapid increases in compute hardware, some real breakthroughs in uh, models, uh, transformers in particular have really shifted this forward, uh, and a big increase in funding uh, for this sort of work. And those three sort of curves have stacked on top of each other to give us quite a lot of new stuff in the last five-ish years, certainly. Uh, how long that's going to continue for, though, is an interesting question. Like, could we get another order of magnitude, GPT-5, GPT-6, uh, without some sort of step change in one of those things? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's still the real bottlenecks that we discussed last time. Mm. So um, I don't want to say what are the particular applications of this model because I think the way this stuff works is someone makes a model like this and then people take that learning and apply it into real-life situations. But is there people applying this already? Where's it being used? Where do you think it could be used? Would we use it in Maxwell Plus in any way? Yeah. So this, I mean, this is a very... I think this is sort of like adding to the theory, adding to the foundational research uh, more than it is a practical example in any domain. So the task yep. that it's doing, image captioning, text, uh, sort of conversational agents, uh, playing Atari games, you know, there's specific domain-specific models that probably outperform this uh, in most cases, and that's fine. I uh, love that they chose Atari games. <laughs> I think the reason they picked Atari, I think, is uh, a combo of copyright expiration uh, and Atari's also, bankrupt, right? They're gone. Right? Maybe. I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, but also the fact that like it's often just a directional pad and two buttons and the graphics in terms of like pixels on the screen is pretty low. Mm. So there's less you have to care about. You know, imagine 4K input with, you know, modern PlayStation controllers that have 15 buttons. You're just making your job much harder. Yeah. And was this, like, was there was there any robotic element to this or was it purely computational? Uh, so the, one of the tasks that they look at is sort of controlling robotic arms for grasping tasks. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good question as to whether they... I mean, look, looking here at, at one of the images in the post, like they do have photos of some robotic arms. So I, I assume within some simulated environments, they took the leap to uh, the physical world, which is quite cool, I Very think. Cool. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, sorry, I cut you off on the application. Where where are we going with this? What Where do you think this is going to start getting used or is it just theory? and will be theory for a long time and people will take portions of it and apply it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, where we currently sit, there's, it's probably going to be cheaper from a business perspective to get a bunch of single purpose models for any sort of reasonable business case that we have today. So, you know, in our work against medical imaging and medical data analysis, it's still going to be a lot more efficient for us to build problem-specific algorithms and string them together uh, because within the scope of what we work on, the tasks are 
not that numerous. There's like half a dozen models that we have in production now. And we are not at a point where we want to trade off flexibility for accuracy. Uh, so we're willing to take the hit on having to maintain six models rather than uh, split these apart into, uh, or, or sorry, merge these together into one supermodel. Um, it's hard to think where there may be some early examples of this. Um, I mean, nothing immediately springs to mind. Obviously, you could think about ones that play video games, but that's not, it's not a particularly mm -hmm. thrilling business opportunity. Um, the robotic space actually could, you know, this robotic grasping and, and sort of doing that in quite complex scenarios could be an interesting one. So you can imagine if you're building, uh, if you're Amazon, for example, and you're putting these robots in at your fulfillment centers, your mm. sort of day-to-day -day variation in sort of packing product or what comes through and needs to be packed and assessed uh, could warrant the use of, of a more generalist agent. Yeah. Um, especially across stores and across different fulfillment centers and things where there may be a lot of variation. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Indeed. So you have to we're ask not going to be taken. Yeah. We're not going to be taken over by paperclip ones just yet, but the no. general sentiment is things are moving quick. Things seem to be moving quick. And I mean, I think probably the million dollar question is, can they keep moving quickly forever? Segway, <laughs> segway of the, uh, of the series. Well if, done. If you're listening to this on audio, uh, we just pulled real dumb faces at each other, which will make no sense. But that's basically what we do for most of the time on, on video anyway. Yeah. I made a slide deck today, Matt. Oh, good. Let me let me do the images. The wrangling. Yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. I need to do the intro. I was just really proud. I made a slide deck. I wanted everyone to know that I made a slide deck. Okay, so I'll jump into it. Yeah. Wet the wet the, the uh, whistle a little bit here. Wet the whistle. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Can you cut that bit out? Anyway, moving on. Uh, so I came across this article this week called uh, "This Can't Go On," and it's by it's in this. 12-part series by a guy called Holden Karnofsky. And he's like the CEO founder of GiveWell, which is like a philanthropic... Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Um, <laughs> philanthropic, um, philanthropic organization that just takes money and gives it to the most effective places. Um, and he's kind of turned into this... Uh, he split the business into two parts. One is the like, let's help humans part. And then the other is the long-term thinking part. And as part of that, he's him and his team and a few other people that uh, he works with have come up with this idea that we are living in the most important, we could be, there's a very reasonable chance we are living in the most important century ever, that being the 21st century. And his argument to me essentially boils down to growth rates. And that's growth rates in economic growth that's technological growth and it kind of he kind of says that no matter what happens whether we keep accelerating or we decelerate decelerate or we collapse 
no matter what, that's going to be a very, very interesting century. And in this 12-part series, there's an article on this called This Can't Go On. Um, and it's all about the economic growth. And it kind of sets up as to why, no matter which way you look at this, this century is going to be wild, as he says. It's going to be a wild century, which I love. And um, he first introduces the idea of economic growth and what we're used to. And it's this, he calls it the uh, business as usual case. And I'm going to bring up my slide deck. Oh, oh, all right. Let's play some elevator music. Did, did. Yeah, good. Okay. So, <laughs> so this chart that we've got here is economic growth on a log scale in $1990 from 1950 through to today. And it's the size of the economy and size of the economy is, uh, in their definition, the stuff that we create. And because it's in $1990, it's adjusted for price changes. Um, and the stuff we create is a function of two things. One, the number of people we have, because we need to, the more people we have, the more stuff we need to create. And then the stuff per people. So this is idea that if the population grew and we never produce more stuff per people, the economy would still grow, but we're doing both at the same time. We're producing more people and we're producing more stuff per people. So this is his graph. And he said, this is pretty normal. This is what's kind of been happening for the last 50, 100 years where we've just got nice steady 2 to 3% growth every year. We all get a little bit richer and a little bit more stuff every year. And we can just extrapolate that curve out for another 100 years and uh, the economy will probably be about 10 times bigger, which is nice. So we'll all be more rich. What makes this amazing is as soon as you zoom out from the last 50 to 100 years and look at this on a 5,000-year scale. Um, so what we have here for those on the audio is we zoom out and that graph goes vertical absolutely vertical in the last hundred years. And his argument is that we are living through the fastest and could be the fastest economic growth rate ever, period, ever. Which is, when you look at that graph, it just blew my mind as to how much stuff we've added per person and how many people we've added in the last hundred years. And they did some back of the envelope and the, the, the justification as to why this cannot go on is that if we continued at two to 3% growth rate for the next little while, the next 8,000 years, there would be the equivalent to multiple world economies per atom in the entire universe. There'd be like three, three of today's economies, world economies per atom in the universe which says that we have more stuff, an entire three worlds of entire stuff per atom, which is just like obviously physically impossible. So his point is that well before this, we're gonna hit some, we're gonna hit some limits. So, well, that's one option. He, uh, he gives a couple of options. He calls it stagnation, which is, which is kind of slows down, peters down, which would be the S curve where we keep producing and then eventually we just slow down. Um, another option, which is like 
while even wilder to think about is he's is called explosion which is economic growth rate has been in the acceleration of growth rate has been growth growth rate has been accelerating year on year since dawn of time what is to stop us thinking that we're actually not going to grow even faster in the next hundred years than we currently are and then the third one is collapse like something happens asteroid kind of scenario or more likely climate change slash pandemic slash nuclear winter and none of this matters and in every one of those scenarios stagnation explosion or collapse the thoughts of what happened there is wild in the, in their opinion and he argues that this is going to happen the likelihood that this century is incredibly important for determining the future is this century and i'll just go back to my little this is uh this is the same data zoomed in crazy Yeah, he, he doesn't get into it because obviously we're starting to be in a world of um, armchair philosophizing. But he reckons, so Holden reckons that explosion is a very likely outcome. So if we consider our three of explosion, stagnation and collapse, he thinks explosion is very, very likely because he's like, show me the evidence that says we're not going to keep growing even faster than we currently are. And we all sit there thinking like, oh, how do we... You know, how do we grow faster? The, how do we how do we produce more stuff? Like, you know, we're already pretty optimized as society. And his view is that there is there is a very good chance that a technological change comes along that causes an explosion in productivity. An example that he gives is AI. And he says, what at the moment we are bottlenecked by humans, basically. What if we produced and we've, we, we chose our topics well today. Um, what if we produce general artificial intelligence that could basically replicate humans? What would that do to productivity? He's like, what if we could, what if we could get, put science on automat automatic function? What if we could make AI that just did science for us? What if we made AI that could do thinking for us? What if we could do AI that just replicated every single human on the planet? And his view is that if that happened, and it's not unlikely that that couldn't happen, it would result in a productivity explosion. And we'd be in a world where the world would be, the economy would be doubling, not every 30 years, which it currently is, it'd be doubling every year or even every month. We'd be producing so many, so much stuff per person. And also we'd be unconstrained by the people in that, um, in that equation. So we'd be producing people and more people and more stuff per person than ever. Um, obviously there is some bottlenecks that, uh, we would hit along the way. And that's probably my, one of my criticisms of this is that he doesn't really talk about consider bottlenecks, um, and what would constrain the system to slow down and probably push us more into a stagnation world. But it's a really, you don't think about it, but like often, but like, what if we, instead of slowing down, we went faster.
Yeah, and no, I don't think, uh, like, the axis is written in dollars, but think of it as stuff, I, th I think is the better way to think about it. And at some point, humans will be saturated with stuff. But we've also shown pretty well that we're pretty good at consuming a lot of things and over-consuming, right? Um, but there are limits in this. There are limits. Um, and from the, for an explosion, he doesn't, Holden doesn't necessarily predict this, but it, he comes back to if we do live in an explosion world that could happen very likely in the next 80 years and therefore make this century an incredibly important century where we develop some technology which explodes our capability to produce so yeah the the other one is um talked about stagnation but he doesn't think this is likely either and the reason is is he doesn't see us slowing down um oh sorry jumping around there he doesn't see us slowing down and he uses this chart which comes from asimov who i think wrote the the books on isaac asimov who wrote the books on uh foundation series which is now the Apple TV series, yeah. Um, and this comes, uh, he talks about how it's, uh, the book's called like the greatest scientific discoveries ever and inventions ever. And out of the 650 pages, 550 of it are written in the last 500, uh, are focused on the last 500 years. So on this, on this chart here, we have uh, a graph, an x-axis of just a timeline of when we started inventing stuff. Uh, we've got the start of history, we've got sailboats, and it's, it's very focused towards energy and transportation. And basically everything important, well, sorry, most of this, this graph is stacked to everything happening within the last uh, 200 years. And so when you draw it on a graph of a plot of human history, it is very, very focused on the most recent part of our future it's on like a tiny amount of uh tiny amount of the screen they've also put a line in there as well as where growth literally can't continue at today's rate past this point which i think is interesting and so he uses this as like i don't think stagnation is going to happen because we're not slowing down and we're now in space as well and he has a big thing about how we're going to be an intergalactic species and stuff like that but that's another that's another post Correct, correct. Uh, yeah, sorry, those three scenarios of uh, for this century are explosion, stagnation, or collapse in this next century. Yeah. Yep. So, then the, the final one is collapse. Uh, the final possibility for 
the future is collapse. Um, and he kind of ignored the it, the comet wiping us out situation. Apparently, it's been proven to be pretty unlikely uh, to do. Like we're less like we're unlikely to get wiped out in the next uh, hundred years by a comet. Doesn't mean that it won't happen. Um, but uh, he talks about things there where AI is obviously a threat. Nuclear war in winter is a threat. Pandemics a threat, especially if it includes warfare, uh, like biological warfare, and then climate change as well. These are all things that could take us out and cause us to collapse in some way. Um, and once again, if that's true in this next century, this makes this a very important century. And we should be focusing on those things to protect the downside and focusing on the ensuring that we're when we are creating things that could uh, explode us from a technological point of view is that we're doing it in a way that will not take us towards collapse, but also set us up for a future where of prosperity as a race. Hmm. Yeah, there's a uh, great podcast episode on Lex Friedman with Sam Harrison. They talk about this, how some physicists chasing a Nobel Prize could accidentally create a black hole. Um so yeah, there is a, there is there is that, but um, I'm also going to reference another uh, favorite author of mine, which is this guy called Dr. Elliot Smith, um, and you released a post in the last week and a half, which I reminded me of this situation where we're kind of unable to see the speed at which we're traveling at, and we can't. And uh, I'm going to let you explain how this links to this article. It's just that classic LinkedIn thing where everyone's.
Yeah, where are my flying cars? We've got TikTok. No, it's Richard, it's Richard Feynman. We haven't mentioned him yet. <laughs> yeah um so i'll sum this all up with this quote that he kind of finishes on like which is how he describes how he's thinking about this um and how he wonders about it and by the way you should uh, he, he's done a really cool thing where he's written it and then he's also released a podcast on all of them as well so you can podcast and listen to them, which I really like. So this is a direct quote from the article. One metaphor my head for my headspace is that it feels as though the world is a set of people on a plane blasting down the runway. We're going much faster than normal and there isn't enough runway to do this much longer, but we're still accelerating. And every time I read commentary on what's going on in the world, People are discussing how to arrange their seatbelt as comfortably as possible, given that wearing one is part of life. Or saying how the best moments in life is sitting with your family and watching the white lines whooshing by. Or argue about whose fault it is that there's a background rule making it hard to hear each other. If I were in this situation and I didn't know what was next, lift off, I wouldn't necessarily get it right. But I hope I'd at least be thinking, this situation seems kind of crazy and unusual and temporary. We're either going to speed up even more or come to a stop or something else weird is going to happen. That is a, I mean, as far as metaphors go, that's that's ten x on on my metaphor game. So, good job to him. That yeah. was cool. Oh, no, I made that up on the spot just then. That was all. Oh me. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been thinking about this long and hard in yeah. the last twenty four hours. And flying planes, apparently. Yeah. But yeah, I'll leave it there. Um, I don't have any insights or takeaways or like from it other than whoa. Well, 
You don't get off that easy, mate. What? What's? Yeah, but where, I do. Where do you reckon we're going? If you had to put money on it, I did. So, I'd never really thought about the case for explosion or acceleration, but it's there, and I think I think I had thought about it, but I think I took it for granted, and I. I think my natural tendency is to be a little bit of a doomsdayer and say, ah, oh, it's all going to come to an end. Like, you know, I've, what's that, those famous quotes around? I predicted eight out of the last two recessions. Like, I'm kind of that guy where it's like, I'm like, oh, this is, this is the end of it. You know, you and I have talked about how China's, China's going to blow up uh, as an economy and as a, as a political uh, entity at some point. Mm. Um, and yeah, probably going to be very wrong about that in some way um but i didn't think about the alternate which is what if the music keeps going and the music speeds up even more and that's made me have an appreciation for humanity and what we're able to produce and what we've been able to do and how amazing we are but also a slight hesitation and fear for the future um and it makes me want to step back and make sure i'm looking out the window a little bit more and not just worried about doing my seatbelt up or who's kicking my chair behind me. Yeah. That's a good answer. I mean, you, you didn't really answer my question, but I liked your, uh, I liked your answer nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, I think, I think reality, like we're going to do it with, I actually think we'll be in a stagnation world. I think there's a lot of limits that we're going to hit in certain areas that we don't expect. Um, I think like, for example, we're currently in the world economy, we're exploring a limit, which is how much money can you pump into the system? Uh, and what are yeah. the implications of that? We're hitting a limit there. We're hitting a limit with interest rates. Like, um, I think it might be a limit that we overcome, um, but at the moment it seems to be a limit on the system. Yeah, There'll be a limit on chains. actual resources. We've talked about the limit on compute power. We've talked about... Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's other, there's other trends as well, which kind of say we might go the other way so for example they talk about uh if you if you switch if you switch um economic growth for energy consumption mm. the kind of similar similar case can be made of stagnation explosion or collapse something's got to change soon however what's interesting in is that in all major economies electricity consumption's actually been going down over the last three uh, like three percent a year kind of thing energy demand is growing from emerging economies, not from the major economies. And it's around things like energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's trends that could indicate that there's, there's deflationary trends in there as well. And technology is a major deflationary trend in this as well. So, yeah, I, I'm in, I'm in team stagnation. Team stagnation. Interesting. I, I think I'm team explosion over the next century. Um, I think there's going to be some breakthroughs in AI, in nuclear power, in health tech, especially around some of the things we've seen with uh, mRNA and other things like CRISPR that are very early today, but I think will come together to really push a limit on things like health span, lifespan, and energy, and and a lot of other factors. I mean, there's still the destructive case. We might fuck this all up and yeah, 
blow ourselves up, but I think I'm on team explosion. So out of out of out. So if we take the bottom one out of the equation, because we're not talking about collapse, because mm. um, you're on this one over here. Oh, sorry, your screen is not on the screen, but I'm on the yeah, I'm on the up and up. We're, we're going yeah, for yeah, the up and up. Order, I'm order on range. the plateau one, I think, where we keep going up, but we hit limits. My gut says that, like, similar to the fact that the AI, like, we hit some limits, but there's enough S-curves stacked together that we can survive hitting some limits. I think we're in a similar position with, uh, I mean, economic growth as a proxy for just, like, general growth. Yeah. I, I think the worry, the issue with the hit limits is, like, if we hit the limit, does that result in a collapse? Like, if we well, suddenly... Yeah. Yeah, like what happens if we hit a limit with the US dollar and from an economic point of view and it just collapses overnight yeah. and the US economy collapses? Or, or if there's what, just no What the food. hell happens there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty real. Um, well, I mean, what did we say? 100 years, should, should... 52 episodes a year. Episode 5,207. You guys wait. We will see who uh, who won. Good maths, by the way. Oh, that's that's the easy one. I we had a call this week where uh, I was put on the spot and needed to do a hundred minus uh, seventeen. And I was too slow. That looks like a yeah. Dick. It was in an investor meeting and you yeah. fucked it up. <laughs> I got it right. I just was. I was actually you didn't get it wrong. You asked them. <laughs> I was just stalling. Which was a which was a uh, important takeaway from last week, wasn't it? Ask what? dumb questions. Ask dumb questions. Yeah, it was a hundred minus seventeen. It's eighty three, by the way. Uh, yeah, quick math. Tune in next week for some more quick math with Elliot and Tom. Yep, episode nine. Get it? Eight. Yeah, no, that was a uh, Yeah, quick math. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else have you been... Should we call it there on that topic? But what else have you been working on this week? What else have I been working on? Um, Released anything? Anything to plug? Anything to share? Uh, I've got a newsletter that I've been putting out. I haven't done as much yeah. writing as I wanted to, but you should check out my newsletter. I talk a lot about, I talked about Ghetto. I talked about teaching GPT-3 to reverse words, which was an interesting topic. So if you're interested in AI, hit that up, elliotcsmith.com. Um, other than that, man, not much, not much to plug. I started listening to the Dune audiobook. That is good. Mm. They have like 15 people in the cast. Uh so check that out if you're looking for a book. Yeah, it's great. It's great. What about um, you? My my partner had an eye injury and so couldn't watch TV or read. So we listened to that while she was uh, out of action. Um, that's great. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've got I released uh, all right, uh, my little newsletter last week, Rosebud Thought, and got another one coming out this week. Got another post coming out on. Uh, the kind of like problem solving aspect and the and the process behind it but um nothing much else can't believe we made seven episodes we did we're it. doing well man we're doing well episode 10 yeah. is creeping ever closer it'll be in yeah three weeks we will be live we should probably hype this up a little bit before we go live so that we have we're an doing audience. live we're doing rapid fire as well we've decided that we're going to bring five things each that didn't make the cut to talk an entire episode about and talk about those go rapid fire mix up the format we're gonna episode 15 we're gonna do a we're gonna both read the same book and yes. talk about that book and then uh episode 20 we're uh 
Elliot's going to do a backflip. Nope. Uh, when's episode 20? We've got 13 episodes until then. You know what? Somewhere... Oh, 100 yep. less 13, that your weak number. Yes. No, somewhere around then, Tom and I will be in the same city at the same time, so we will do some in-person episodes and try and have a little fun with that as well. But look, if you start with us... It'll probably involve getting hour, too intoxicated and... Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And episode 100 will be a live show in person and you can come along. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Let's, I'll commit to that. Whatever. Like, worst case, we just go to a pub and drink and record it. Um, yeah. Well, look, if you've Put made it through this, this hour, thank you for sticking with us. Hope you found this interesting. Do remember to subscribe, like. And look, people tell you to hit the bell. I don't know what the bell does. It probably it apparently notifies you every time we put out a video. That seems hella annoying. So feel free to skip that just subscribe. One. Just, just subscribe. subscribe. Just subscribe. It'll be good for you. Subscribe, Scott. It costs you nothing. It costs you nothing, and it strokes our ego. And as I said, we are really desperate for attention. Uh, and so if you're not Scott. listening to this on YouTube, then none of this shit matters. And please just keep listening. Good. Right. And on that note, Elliot will end on Elliot's plea for attention. Yep. That's how most things with me end. All right. Peace out, everybody. Catch you next time. <laughs>